0: that are here tonight, if you're visiting with us, uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, we, you, you find yourself um, about uh, 12 parts into a series, so if you haven't been here for a while, you've missed quite a lot. Uh, each part sort of stands alone, but they're all kind of linked together by one common theme, and, and that theme is... Uh, the, the idea of what it would be like to journey with Jesus. Uh, a year ago or so, I heard a series by Andy Stanley, and they had, it was called 90. They said, we're going to take 90 days to look at, at the life of Jesus from Christmas to Easter. And I was like, that's a cool idea. And so we've kind of done something similar, not the same content, but the same idea, what would it be like to be there following Jesus, and what would we learn if we were there? And um, The good news that we have uh, is that we've got eyewitness reports of what it was like to follow Jesus. Some guys named Matthew, they were, a guy named Matthew was there. A guy named Mark hung out with Peter who was there. A guy named John, he was there. They wrote about what happened, and then there's this guy named Luke, and we've talked about Luke quite often because he wasn't um, Jewish. He, was, he wanted the Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, anybody not Jewish here tonight? Wow, there must be a whole ton. Just by not raising your hands, I'll just assume. All right. There you go. Okay. One up to me. Sheesh. That's one of those nights. All right. That is... uh... He wanted Gentiles to know, this is, this is who Jesus is, he, because he came to do something brand new, something for the whole world, not just for the Jewish people. And he came to do something powerful, not, not religious, not traditional, but something life-changing, and it's been changing lives ever since. And so, uh, tonight we're jumping into part 12. We'll give you the title later, uh, because it gives it away. Uh, so, uh, any of you ever been challenged to live in the moment? You know, be in the moment? So, uh, I want to encourage you guys tonight uh, with that idea, to live in the moment. I saw this picture of uh, a whole bunch of people. They're all on their phones, and then there's this one little lady. Everyone else is trying to capture the moment, and she's living in the moment. She's just taking it in real time. So if you have your phones you know, out with you tonight, as long as you're taking notes, then that's great. But I, I would challenge you to be in the moment tonight of what's happening here. Be engaged fully. That's, that's what it is, being, being present um, not dwelling on the past, you know, not anxious for the future. That's what it means to be in the moment. And uh, tonight, part of being there's part of being in the moment, and then there's another side of just living only for this, only for this moment. Uh, and that's the other side of what I want to talk about tonight: that that thought of just living for just today. Uh, and so, if we had been around in the '30s, uh, not the 1930s, the '30s, zero zero three zero, uh, and if we were following Jesus around in that time. We would have heard him teach and talk about a lot of different things. Uh, Jesus had some things that he talked about more than other things. Uh, I was thinking we could, you know, maybe do a pop quiz and we'll try it. If it doesn't work tonight, I won't do it tomorrow. But how many of you know some of Jesus' hot topics? Things that he probably talked about a lot. Any ideas of what he maybe talked about a lot? Love. Very good. Do we have love? Love. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus talked about love with 65 verses. Very good. Maybe maybe we're on a roll. What else did Jesus talk about a lot? Anybody, any thoughts? Faith. Who said faith? Nobody, but it's the next one. So well done, everyone. Faith is the next one. 104 verses on faith. Uh, Did I hear prayer out there somewhere? I think in the back. Prayer. Prayer is something Jesus talked about a lot. 116 verses. What else? Forgiveness, money is in there. Yeah, money was, money was a little further down the list. Actually, after uh, prayer, there was he talked about disciples. Uh, 140 verses spent on talking about disciples. Money was 288 verses. Man, he talked a lot about money. But we're not talking about that tonight. So don't worry. If you're visiting, we're not here to get your money. Um, what, what Jesus talked about, and all of those things as you've seen them, I've talked about all of those multiple times. Uh, we've had we've guest speakers talk about some of those things multiple times. But the one that I want to talk about tonight, I don't think I've ever preached on. In the, I, don't think I've ever, I don't know that I've ever preached on this topic in 20 years, and, I, and and something that Jesus talked about a lot. I always feel like I might need to apologize for talking about this for some reason, and I, and I don't know why. Um, but if you'd follow Jesus long enough. If you'd followed him long enough, you would have heard him talk about this topic at some point. And that topic was life after this life. Life after this life. He he talked about it, 445 verses are dedicated to this idea of life after this life. What happens after this life? 273 were about heaven, 172 verses were about hell. Yeah, that word, like all the other words, when I googled those words, they came up pretty. And then this one, not not so much there was like no pretty ones because this is like it's one of those one of those words we don't talk about a lot especially I find more and more we don't talk about it in church and um I've had people ask me why don't you preach about hell you know we need to we need to hear more about hell and I'm like here here's a couple of my thoughts and maybe you would agree it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable you know, um, maybe you're thinking, oh, come on, can't we just have a nice tr- Let's just go back to worship again. That was a whole lot more fun than this is going to be. You know, I would encourage you, don't warn the Sunday morning people. Don't te- text them and tell them this is what it was about. I know that you do that sometimes because they tell me when I arrive on Sunday morning what the message was about the night before. Don't do that this week. Uh, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but maybe on purpose. Uh, maybe you think, Mark, people won't want to come back if it's uncomfortable. I know, but it's worth the risk. Maybe for you, you grew up in a church that talked about hell all the time. That, you know, the pastor was so angry, you thought he was born and raised there. Uh, and so you're like, I, I, I left that church for, for this reason. I, I don't want to hear about it. Maybe it's just uncomfortable. Um, to be honest, studying and prepping for this, I, I even told Beth, I'm like, I, I, don't, I feel like I need to speak about this, but I don't, I don't want to. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to. And then today she's in my office. She's like, so how's it going? I'm like, it's terrible. And I'm like putting my final notes together. And she's like, why? She looks and she's like, you're still talking about hell? And I'm like, I thought you you were over that. And I'm like, I did too. But I just can't get it out of here. To be honest, I feel strongly convicted. And tonight, if you hear conviction in my voice and speaking, don't just assume that that conviction is that I have got this all figured out. Because I really feel like he's doing something in my heart uh, through this. And... Uh, welcome along for the journey. Uncomfortable. For some, you think it's unjust. The thought, you know, when you talk to people, how, how could a loving God send people to hell? Like, that seems unjust to, to many. Maybe it's unbelief. <laughs> it's interesting to find. I, I won't do a show of hands, but, you know, you ask people, do you believe there's a literal hell? We were challenged to do that in our Roman study, and there were some people that we asked. They go to church, and they're like, ah, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I'm not sure that hell exists. There's no proof that it does. And, 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 and there was others that, you know. I don't, really, I don't really want to believe in hell. Can I, can I be honest? I don't really want to believe in it either. I, I would love for, the, for it to be true that there is not a hell. I would love that to be true. But there's all kinds of things that I wish were true that aren't. You know, like uh, taxes. I wish that wasn't true. You know, turbulence and tooth decay. And that's just the things that start with T. There's lots of things I wish were not true, but they... They are, and just because they don't believe in them doesn't mean that they're not true. So uncomfortable, unjust, un- unbelief. Maybe um, someone asked me this week, "How do you know there's even anything after this life?" <laughs> they kind of angrily said, "You don't know. You don't know that there's anything after this life. How do you know? You're just guessing." They've been going through some stuff and thought it was, you know, maybe I'm just guessing. Maybe, maybe for some of us, to be fair, we we would say if it was up to us, we are kind of just guessing. Like, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Oh, I don't know. Like, angels, babies playing harps, Philadelphia cream cheese is going to be there. For those of you who are old enough to remember that, that's going to be heaven, right? And the thing, the thing is that it's, just, it's not about what I have to say about this topic. You know, as we studied the life of Jesus a few weeks ago, we talked about a night where, where Jesus hung out with a guy named Nick, Nicodemus. He had a conversation with Nicodemus, and he said something interesting to him. Remember this conversation, John chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus says this. They had been asking some questions, and, and Nicodemus is like, I, I don't, how, how is that possible? I, I can't understand. Like, How did I miss this? And Jesus says in verse 10, he says, you're a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. Verse 11, he says, I assure you, we, when he says we, he means he's speaking of, um, of him uh, as, as God. He says, we tell you what we know and what we've what? <laughs> Seen. I, I'm telling you what I know and what I've seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. He says, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, and he explained to him how wind works, he says, how are you possibly going to believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? He says, you don't believe when I say, t- tell you about earth? How are you going to believe me about heaven? And then he says this powerful thought, verse 13. He says, Nicodemus, no one's ever gone to heaven and returned. None of your buddies have gone to heaven and then came back and said, hey, fellas, this is what it's like. They're all guessing, but I'm not. He says, the Son of Man has come down from heaven, so when I'm t- saying something, when Jesus says to him, He's, I'm telling you what I know and what I've seen. That I came from there. I know what I'm talking about. Everyone else might be guessing, but I'm not. I've been there. You know. And when they heard all this stuff, it, most of that didn't really make sense fully to them until after Jesus rose from the dead. They're like, Okay, you're a good teacher and all. You know, the crowds love you for some reason. You feed lots of people. Um, and you say some crazy stuff, but uh, I don't know. There's just, we're, not, we're not quite sure. And then he does something no one else has ever done before. He dies. He predicts that he's going to rise from the grave. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And they're like, this guy means what he says. And they began to write down the things he said. All of these, all of these things that he had, this conversation he had with Nicodemus took on a whole new light. Yeah, yeah, he was there before. He has to, have, he has to be something other than just... Man, this guy knows what he's talking about. See, Jesus described what the kingdom of heaven was like with a whole lot of parables. He would tell them stories. Parables are, are like an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. It's, it's like things that people would understand to help them with things that they, they don't understand. He would talk to them about how, hev- how the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed it starts small, but then it grows. And it's exactly what happened. He started it with a few, and now there's Thousands and millions of people meeting all around the world. The, the, the part of the, um, king, uh, his kingdom of heaven. He says it's like a treasure. It's like, you know, it's like, a, it's like a net that's drawing people in. It's like a farmer sowing in the fields. And many of the farmers know what that's all about. He said that, that's what heaven's like. He said it's hard to describe it. But let me put in some terms you understand. And so he'd explain to them what it was like. But, but he also talked about another place. He also talked about, about another place. A place called Hell. We talked about it. See, we tend, we tend to d- diminish the power or the meaning of words. Do you, do you ever realize that? We, we take words and we, we, we lower them down. For instance, the word love. The word love, such a beautiful word. You know, but we, we, this word is like bankrupt in our society. We use that word for everything. You know, you tell your wife, oh, I love you. And that should mean something. But then the next sentence is, or somewhere else, oh, I love my dog. For some, I love my cats. I love my truck. Man, I love pizza and chicken wings. Like, your wife is on the same par as pizza and chicken wings when it comes to that word. We've we've taken the meaning and allowed it to be, to be less than. We do it with lots of words. Words like awesome, uh, but also words like hell. Hell has just become a word that's, what it originally, you know, means has been, it's just used in a lot of different ways. And I... I We can maybe do this tonight because it's Saturday night. I I may not do this tomorrow. But um, you've heard it. You know, maybe you've said it. We won't ask for confession. But for instance, use this word in different ways other than what its real meaning is. You know, for some, it's like watching a sports game. Have you ever seen, you know, a bunch of guys and, and gals probably watching, a, watching the Leaf game? And, and as you're watching, you're like, oh, it's close. It's like the, the Leafs are down like they always are. And then at the end of the third period, right, they're down by one. And there's Mitch Marner. He skates up. He dipsy doodles through everybody. Makes the perfect saucer pass over to Austin Matthew, top shelf where the cookie jars is, uh, is. And like, it's like this amazing goal. And, and what do you hear? One of the guys, oh, man, that was a hell of a play. Or maybe... Or maybe, you know, you're on your way to work and your friend's like, hey, huh, me and a buddy, we had an all expenses trip, you know, planned. We were going to Vegas, all expenses. He can't make it now. I'm I'm desperately looking for somebody. You know, would you like to go? Hell yeah. You know, and then you hear others who are saying things like, you know, a coworker falls and breaks her leg and it's just they're writhing in pain. You ask them, You okay? And they're like, oh, it hurts like hell you know, or your wife comes up to you and says, hey, we can go on vacation. You want to go on vacation with, uh, with my mom? Hell no. You know, uh, there's, sorry, she's here tonight. Um, that was somebody else's wife. Um, but, but what have we done? See, we've, we've, change this word so that it, does, it, does, it doesn't mean anything like what we've, what we've thought. And then we've got all kinds of other things that have just caused it to continuously lose its real meaning. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, according to our culture, hell's got a kitchen. Um, hell's also got angels. And if you liked AC/DC, you would be familiar with there's a highway to hell where I get to party with all my friends someday. And it's become, it's become a bit humorous. You know the chuckles that we hear that this words become humorous, and but but should it be? Should it be? Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell. Basically, the gist of the book is that we've attempted to erase hell, erase the actual meaning of the word hell from our vocabulary and our mind. We, we rarely talk about what hell is really like, and we even less do we think about what hell is really like. Why? It's uncomfortable. You know, can't we just talk more about love? Can't we talk more about like the good news? What I can say tonight that this may be uncomfortable, maybe as much for me as for you, but it's not unloving. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not. It's not un. It's not unloving. Um, it actually might be more loving to talk about this than 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 unloving. You know, it, it's loving to warn people about impending danger. You know, if you have your kids, you know, you tell your. Maybe your thought with your kids is, ah, they'll just figure it out. You know, that's one thing. If it's like uh, board games or riding a bike, it's a whole different thing. If it's like swimming in the creek and uh, or swimming in the lake or giving them a shotgun, ah, they'll figure it out. No, it's it's incredibly unloving for us to not to not share with them that hey, this this there's there's danger, Uh, there's imminent danger if you use these things wrong. Let's let's think about it. You know, there's, um, there's a guy named Penn Gillette. if you're into magic, you might be aware of Penn and Teller, their show called Fool Us. Penn Jillette is, uh, he's a very vocal atheist, Teller doesn't say anything, but Penn, uh, Penn talks about how he's, uh, he's an atheist, and we saw a video of his uh, a number of years ago where Penn, uh, being an atheist, he, he s- spent some time on his podcast to honor a good man. Uh, we don't have time to to watch it, but I encourage you to Google it, Penn, Penn Teller, um, uh, Christian. I think you'd, you'll find it. But he honored this guy. He says, he, I don't know his name, he said, but he came up to me after a show, and he waited for me after the show was over, and he came up to me, and he, he gave me a tract, he shared the gospel with me, and he handed me a Bible, and he said, "Pen, I've been praying for you. I care about you. He says, I, I know you claim not to believe in God, but he believes in you, and, and I care enough about you. And, I, and he says he was really kind. He was really, you know, um, just just his, his whole demeanor was... was uh, really accepting and open. And as he talked to to Penn, he said, afterwards, he said, you know what? He said, I admire that guy. Because there's all kinds of people who say they believe in hell, but don't give a crap about me. This guy, I believe that he really does believe because he cared enough to tell me. Even though I don't believe it exists, he says, the fact that he cared enough to tell me meant something. So, you know, we might not talk about hell very often, but Jesus talked about it a lot. And he didn't talk about this idea of live in the moment. Just live in the moment or live for today. He talked about something more like this. This idea that we would live here and now as if it's not all about here and now. That we would live here and now as if it's not all about here and now. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21, I'm just going to give you a bunch of bullet points of where he talked about how, and then we're going to look at one in a little bit of detail. Matthew chapter 5 is famous. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21, 22, Jesus said to them, he says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. That's a pretty good thought. He says, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. And they all knew that. And then in verse 22, he says, but I say, even if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And they're like, what? And he says and, if, he says, and he goes on further, if you call someone an idiot, he says, you are in danger of being brought before the court, not now, but later. And he says, and if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And that word's Gehenna, and we'll explain that in a minute. But he was basically saying, you know what, it's not just about murder. He's like, don't be angry now, because it leads to something later. You think it's all about the moment now, but this moment now leads to something later. He would go on to say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And he wasn't hoping that people would have an eye patch and a hook and be a whole bunch of pirates, you know, wandering around, you know, because they're trying to stay pure. He was basically telling them, make it impossible for your eye to sin. Make it impossible for your hand to continue practicing uh, living in sin, he says, because it's better if you lose a hand, you lose an eye, you lose whatever it is that you've got to get rid of so that your whole body isn't thrown into hell. He says this, this thought of, you know what, we, these, little, these, these sacrifices seem big, but they're small compared to what's coming later. He says not just about adultery. He's like, make it impossible for you to lust now because it leads to something later. Make it impossible. Matthew 18, he brings it up again. He says, you know, don't tempt or don't encourage others to sin, especially children. He says, it'd be better if there's a millstone hung around your neck. He says, it'd be, he, says, it'd be, he says, for those who tempt others, he says, that they'll be cast into this place called Gehenna, this place of hell. Luke chapter 10, Luke writes about it and he says that Jesus mentioned whole towns like Bethsaida and Chorazin, two towns who totally, the whole town just rejected Jesus. And he said, man, if I had done the miracles in Tyre and Sidon, which are these other corrupt cities, they all would have repented, but you guys saw the miracles and you didn't even repent. He he continues, he says, um, live here and now, but live here and now as if it's not all about here and now. Live here and now with with an eye on later. With an eye on that life, there's more to this life than just this life. Lots of things that Jesus said made people stop following him. This may have been one of them. Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bible, go there because I'd love for you to follow along. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus was saying this as he's talking. He spent a whole lot of time talking about money. This is one of those 288 verses. He said, no one can serve two masters. He's talking to his disciples about it, and they were surrounded by a crowd. He says, you'll hate one. You'll love the other. You, you, can't, you can't serve two wholeheartedly. He says, you'll be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Verse 14, the Pharisees, we see them over and over and over again. The Pharisees, it says, Luke writes, who dearly loved their money. Who dearly loved their money. He says, they heard all this. They heard Jesus talking about you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and serve money. And and they hear all this and they scoffed at him. They said to him, then he said to them, he says, you guys like to appear righteous. You like to appear righteous. But God knows your what? Your heart's. God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. The Pharisees, they thought they were okay. They thought, you know what, we're we're okay. We live in a generation where most people think that they're okay. The Pharisees had reason to think they were okay. They said, we've got the law of God. Um, They were part of God's chosen people. God had said, I've chosen this group of people, Israel. And they're like, we're good. We, we can, you know, we, we're, we're in, we're okay. They also, you know, in that time frame they, they perceived that if someone was rich, that meant that God had blessed them. Those two things were synonymous. We have people who still think that today, that if you're rich, then God blesses you. And if you're poor, you must be sinning or something. You must not have enough faith. That's not how it works. Because Jesus began to say to these people, yeah, you think you're rich and you think that means you're blessed by God. But he says, I want you to recognize what's going on in your heart. You're living for the here and now, but I want you to live here and now as if it's not all about here and now. Then he tells this story. He tells this story to them, and I think it's powerful for us to understand. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who had splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. He lived each day in luxury. Purple clothing was an incredible, it was a royal color. Only wealthy, wealthy people had it. And he says, here's this rich man. And it starts out like a parable. It starts out like a fictional story, like all these other ones he's told before. And then it changes. Then something happens that doesn't happen in any other parable. Somebody gets named. There's another person with a a real name. He says, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who is covered with sores. Can you just picture it? Rich guy sitting up on the hill. Long, windy driveway. Down at the bottom end of the driveway. There's a man, his name's Lazarus. He's covered in sores. As Lazarus lays there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, he's waiting for garbage day and hoping he'll get something. He says the dogs would come and lick his open sores. You know, whether this is a parable or a true story, and some would argue and say, oh, it's it's not a true story, it's a parable. And either way, either way, the information matters. The message is the same. Verse 22, it says, finally, the poor man, Lazarus, he died, and he was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. He called it Abraham's bosom. That was where they said, that's where they thought people went when they died. And so Jesus said that that's where, that's where Lazarus was taken. It says, the rich man, he also died, and he was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. And he calls it Hades, another uh, term they used for, for hell. And says, then Jesus began to describe what it's like in hell. He, he, this wasn't the main part of his story. He was talking to them about money, but he, becomes, he begins to describe a place with detail, with with words that lets them know this is what it's really like. I know, I know what I'm talking about. He says this. Verse 23 at the end of it. He says, "There are in torment. Here's the man. He says, There, they're in torment. Where are we? The verse, sorry guys, verse 23. There. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's my bad. It's diff- it's a different place on my page. There in torment. It says he saw. See, we wonder, what's it like in the afterlife? What's it like after this life? Well, we know from this, at least, that this man could still see. That it wasn't just, I'm gone. I don't exist anymore. This rich man could still see. and He was feeling torment. He says, he could see Abraham in the far distance. A man that these, all these Jewish people listening would say, Oh, well, we know. We, we understand that. And, 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 and with Lazarus at his side. And says, the rich man shouted. Why? Because he still had the power to speak. He said, Father Abraham, have some pity on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. Whether it's a physical body or not, we know that he has a tongue, that he still thinks that water would quench his thirst. He still had feeling, and he says, I'm in anguish in these flames. Whatever he's going through, he's feeling it deeply. Verse 25, Abraham said to him, Son, remember. So he still had the ability to remember what things were like on earth. It wasn't like he just disappeared and it's all gone and done. Here's a guy who was alive and now he's not, but he can still remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you, you're in anguish. And he said, besides, Abram speaking, he says, "There's there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can cross over to us from there. There's no way out once you're in. There's no way out once you're in. There's no way out once you're in. He says, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send them to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. He even tells us it's a place, a place of torment. He says, I don't want them to end up here. You know, I find incredibly ironic, is that he becomes the heart of an evangelist after it's too late. He all of a sudden has the heart for the people that he loves and their eternal destiny after it's too late. And he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. Send if you can't send me, I can't get out, but at least send Lazarus to the people that I love. And Abraham said to him, can you hear just as the Pharisees are listening in on this conversation? Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Moses and the prophets, those are what they would refer to as the books of the Old Testament. He says, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers, they can read what's written. He says, but the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, I know. <laughs> I know they can read what's written. I could have read what was written. I could probably did read what was written. It didn't, it didn't grab me. I didn't in that moment. But if, if someone sent to them from the dead, they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. Because he also knew what was needed. He knew knew it. He knew what he had missed and what he was hoping for his brothers was that they would repent of sin. They would turn of sin. They would turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to the the voice of, because it's not just words, but the voice of those words being spoken in their hearts, he says, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is telling this to (laughs) to the Pharisees, knowing full well that he's about to do just that. It's an interesting note that that, this is still true today. That as Abraham said to this man in agony, listen, they're not even going to believe if a man rises from the dead. How true is that today? We have evidence like crazy that a man named Jesus, eyewitness accounts that a man named Jesus died and rose from the dead. We have so much literature that points back to that. The only reason we have the literature is because something happened and how many people will find so many reasons not to believe and just by choosing not to believe... To, to cause us to stop thinking that all of it, well, if we don't believe, well, it's probably not real. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. So we close tonight, let you off the uncomfortable chair you've found yourself in. What about me and what about you? See, we might, we might be tempted to think that hell is a place for especially bad people. <laughs> ever heard the term? There's a special place in hell for people like you. Hopefully not. We think, you know, Hitler, yeah, probably deserves it. Stalin, probably deserves it. Bruce MacArthur, fill in the name, maybe your neighbor. People have wronged you. People have done things that you like. Yeah, you know, we we tend to compare ourselves to others. We feel better about ourselves as a result. We feel like, you know, at least I'm not like that. I'm okay. I don't do really bad stuff. I'm not a murderer. I go to church. The Pharisees thought they were okay because they had the law, but they didn't realize the purpose of the law. They didn't realize the purpose of the law. This became really clear to me a couple nights ago. I, uh, my buddy Brandon bought a new vehicle, and so he asked me to drive him to Cambridge, and I did. I drove him to Cambridge, and as I was, dropped him off, I went to Canadian Tire, In Canadian Tire, I got a text from our guy who's installing our kitchen and said, We're gonna start installing your kitchen tomorrow. I was super excited, but I knew someone who would be even more excited. So I pulled over as I was driving home. I pulled off to the side of the road so I could text my wife and say, the kitchen's going in tomorrow. And she texted me a picture of Elf dancing, and it was like, I'm like, this is great. So then as I did that, I pulled back onto the road after that, and I saw there was a car coming up behind me, so I sped up a little bit to get in front of that, to stay in front of that car, and as I sped up ahead. I noticed a policeman off to the side, and I was like, oh, okay. And I just kept on driving. Not a thought in the world at all that I, that I might be in trouble. Well, the police officer pulled out behind me. I was like, oh, he's going to get someone. And I'm driving like not thinking it's going to be me, because I was pretty darn sure that I, had no, I I was okay. I thought, you know, I'll pull over even and just maybe let him go by. And I thought, no, nah, that do will look guilty, so I'll just keep driving. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden the lights come on. I'm like, what? Oh, maybe I got a tail light out. So I pull over, and he comes out, and then he walks up to my car, and I roll down the window. He looks, and he's like, he's like uh, you know why I pulled you over? I'm like, no. He's like, I pulled you over for speeding. I was like, really? Okay, I, how, how fast was I going? He's like, I clocked you at 101. And I'm like, uh, wow. I, I was like, he's like, you don't believe me? Uh, I, I'll go show you the laser. I'm like, no, no, I believe you. I believe you. I just, I just can't believe that. I was going 101. I'm like, man, that's like 21 over. I'm just like, sheesh. So I'm like, so what's, what's the ticket? And he's like, it's a 60 back there, you realize. I'm like, 41 over. My heart sunk. He saw it. And then he's like, can I have your license and registration, please? him my license. I start looking for my registration. I can't find it. He's like, is this your car? I'm like, it's my car. I just... I. It's a mess. I just don't know where it is. Finally, I find my insurance. I hand it to him. The certificate's expired. And I'm like, he walks to the car. I text Beth. This is going to be bad. I saved $20 at Canadian Tire. (laughs) This is going to be really, really expensive. And she texts me her advice, like, you know, be humble. Try to cry. I'm like... (laughs) Show some leg. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't think this is gonna, this is gonna help. Be apologetic, and then she sends me this thing, like you know, this fingers crossed face emoji and praying hands. I'm like, there's no point praying. I deserve this ticket. And he walked up back up to the vehicle, and we'll, we'll tell the rest. Sometimes. Sometimes we're tempted, though, to live life just like that. Like, we're just okay. We're just cruising through life. We have zero idea that anything's wrong. You know, we think we're not as bad as other people. I'm not, you know, I'm just staying ahead of the guy behind me. And then the law comes in and brings light to what's really going on, and we didn't even know it. And that's the purpose of the law when it comes to, to our lives. That's the, that's, that's the purpose. When, when Jesus had the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, hey, try and keep these. He just asked them, Have you kept them all? Every person who came to him, Did you keep them all? Things, the thing, people who thought, Oh, I'm pretty good. He was like, You know, you ever lied? <laughs> he says, You know, you think you haven't committed adultery, but have you ever lusted in your heart? You know, you, have you ever stolen? Have you ever murdered? No, you haven't murdered, but you've ever been angry at somebody? Well, he just leveled it up so that every single person could say, huh, I have broken the law. Question for you tonight You ever steal? You ever lie? You ever break the law? Those of you who are like, Jesus followers like, yeah, but I'm good. You know, but we find ourselves guilty in those situations. And we, we hope that a good judge, and I hope that a good police officer is going to let me go. Yeah, I smiled, you know, I was polite. I uh, treated him well. He should, let me, he should let me go is what I hope. But you know, a good judge, a good judge actually sends out punishment for a crime. A good judge doesn't just say, oh, yeah, we're just going to let everybody go. That's not a good judge. So when we ask ourselves, is it unjust that God would judge people who break the law? It's not unjust. He's not unjust, and it has nothing to do with his goodness at all. The thing that we find ourselves sometimes tempted to think is that hell is for those people, those bad people. And yet the truth is that hell is, is our default destination. We start our lives on a default destination towards hell unless something rescues us. Unless someone rescues us. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need a savior. Because there really is a hell to shun. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be better behaved. Paul wrote to the Romans. And this is what woke me up to it this week. Is that Paul said to them, you might call yourselves Jew and think you're okay. Because you're a Jew. And they challenge us. Put, you put the word Christian in there. You might think you're okay because you carry the name Christian. But he says, if you, if you do the things that you think are not right, if you do the things that you would think others shouldn't do, he says, don't you realize that just because you call yourself Christian or you sit in a church that you're okay? Because you're not okay. He says, those who practice it, it's not those who sin every once in a while, don't get me wrong, it's the ones who live in a lifestyle of practicing sin, thinking that it's still okay, I'm still a good person. And Paul writes it so clear, he says, you don't realize you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment. There's gonna be a day of judgment, there's a day of wrath. You know, we think I'm not I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. But not perfect is not good enough. And I've challenged to think about it, and I challenge you to think about that really, because that has been the whole thing of this of this series. Are we following Jesus really? Are we following Jesus really? And it's not, it is not about, hey, go out and be better behaved, go out and stop sinning, because you can't do that. The whole idea is that. We'd put our trust in Jesus 100%. That that relationship with him is relationship with him day in and day out. And he says, those who know me, they stop sinning because, because something's happening on the inside. So here's a here's conclusion, thought for today. I have one hope for today. That one hope is three things. Three things. Real quick, they sort of rhyme. Number one, I hope today gave you some information. Information. Something for you and me to think about, to really think about. That hell's not, you know, just a word tossed around in conversation. It's not just a doctrine we're going to analyze, whether it's eternal hell or that, you know, someday hell's going to end. And people argue about all that kind of stuff, uh, uh, you know, or whether it exists or it doesn't exist, or whether God would send people there or not send people there. It's not a doctrine that we analyze, but it's, it's a real destination. Regardless of how long it lasts, it's a real destination where real people, p- look at the people around you. Please look at the people around you. The, the real people. Real people will end up there, may end up there. And if it weren't for Jesus, I would have ended up there. You would have ended up there. Information to really think about. Here's why, here's why I believe we need to think about it. Here's why I believe I need to think about it. And this is the thought motivation, not just information, not just to go home and say, wow, that was harsh. The thought of motivation, realizing what we've really been saved from. So many Christians have no idea what they've been saved from. To realize that that was where we were headed, but we've been saved from that. Saved from that. Man, my hope is that it would motivate us to things, that it would motivate us to praise. You know, I sometimes wonder why our praise is so anemic. Where it's like, eh, I don't want to (laughs) sing. I'm not raising my hand. I don't even like that song. Wow, if we remember just for a moment what we've been saved from. <laughs> oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, 10,000 years and forevermore. I'm saved. I'm saved. May it motivate us to praise and may it motivate us to evangelism. Not the idea that we would go knock on doors because I'm not saying go do that. But I wonder if we really, and this is the thing I had to wrestle with. I wonder if I really believe that hell is what Jesus said hell is, then why do I not have enough of care that other people might be going there? I sometimes feel like I'd apologize for talking about hell, but I apologize to you for not talking about it for 20 years. Because I feel like we have people all around us, all around us, do I care enough about people that to to them about eternal things? The rich man became an evangelist after it was too late. You know, the people at his funeral probably said things like to, the, to his brothers, oh, he's in a better place now. <laughs> you hear it at funerals, oh, grandma's in a better place. But if she didn't put her faith in Jesus Christ, according to him, she is not in a better place. I don't challenge you to go to the next funeral and say, oh, grandma's burning. But, <laughs> but would we, could, could we think about it? Like i said, I think it impacts the desire to reach other people. I think it impacts how we share the gospel, how we share the good the good news. You're reminded of Ray comfort how he. He says, you know, it's like too often we share the good news, like people are on a plane, and the stewardess comes over to everybody sitting on the plane and says, hey, can I interest you in a coffee, a tea, a parachute? And you're like, uh, I'll take the coffee and tea, but and not the parachute. I'm like, well, here, why don't you guys take this parachute? This is John 3.16 on it. It's pretty cool. You know, it's, it matches your, matches your outfit. You know, John, you take this parachute, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your life better. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, fine, I'll, I'll take the parachute. You put the parachute on, pretty soon you're sitting there, and now your face is in the tray in front of you. You can't barely move. You go to the bathroom, and you can't even turn around there because you got this parachute on. You're like, oh, this thing makes my life uncomfortable. You're like, I don't want it. For so many, that's how we've offered Christianity to people. It's going to make your life better. You know, come on, teens, follow Jesus, because it's going to make your life better. It's going to make your life easier. God's got a great plan for your life. It's all about you, you, you. Here, just wear this parachute, and you're saved. And, and, and then they find out it doesn't really make their life better. It doesn't really make their life more comfortable. And they're like, I, I don't really want it anymore. And how many have tossed it off to the side? And he says, well, picture a second scenario. They come up to you, and the stewardess says to you, hey, forget the coffee and tea. Just want to let you know. The captain said, the plane's going down. I got a parachute. You want one? Oh, yeah, I'll take one. Thank you. It's not going to make your life comfortable. I don't care. I'm taking it. If this plane's going down, I want salvation. Man, what would it change? Yeah. Facing something difficult in my life, who cares? I'm not tossing my faith in Christ because of something difficult I'm going through. He died to save me from something that's further ahead. I'm not going to live here and now as if it's all about here and now. I've had too many conversations this week with people who just I've tossed it to the side, and I think we've made it... T- We've maybe presented it in a way that didn't, they didn't realize that this was salvation. This wasn't an easy street, an easy trip. So, last thought information to think about, motivation to praise and evangelism. And not saying go to evangelism, but if it touches your heart, it will change the way we treat others. And the last one's this transformation. Transformation. Not to join religion or behave better. Not to, you know, think, oh man, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to try and stop sinning. But to put our full trust in Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with God through him. That he would transform our lives by starting within. You know, Jesus talked about hell a lot, and he talked about it one more time. And Matthew actually records that conversation uh, for us in chapter 16. And Jesus asked Peter and said to him, Peter, who do you say that I am? People say I'm a prophet. People say all this stuff. Who do you say I am? And it's the same question I believe he's asking you tonight put your name in there. Mark, Joe, Vic, Peter, Charlie, whatever. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because he didn't just talk to crowds. He was looking for individuals. and He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Peter said this. He says, Jesus, they might say whatever, but you're the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the Son of the living God. And here's what Jesus said, and I'll leave you with this. He said, Peter, that thought is what I'm going to build my church. Not buildings, people. I'm going to build people who know that to be true, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, that that will be the revelation and truth that the whole church is built on. And he said this to Peter, even hell will not stop. The gates of hell will not stop what I'm about to do. He says, I'm willing to bear the guilt. I'm willing to bear the shame and the wrath of God for you, Peter. Put your name in there. He says, I'm willing to go to hell and back for you. I will crush your enemy for you. I will take away his authority over you. I'll pay for your freedom. I'll unlock the cell. I'll break the chains of sin that hold you bound. And then I'll invite you to step out of that cell, to leave that life behind and just come and follow me. I will do all of that for you. I'll invite you just to leave the path that leads to a real hell and come and follow me into something better. Come follow me into eternal life. That is on the table for you tonight. Romans chapter 10, Paul said it this, I'll leave it two verses. He said this to people who to, to, to people living in Rome. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, like Peter did, <laughs> Jesus, you are who you say you are. I trust, and it says, and believe in your heart. I trust in my heart that you are who you say you are, and that God raised you from the dead. He says, you will be saved. If you're here tonight and you haven't done that, you've been sitting in church for years, but you've never done that, I pray that God grabs your heart tonight. I pray that he grabs your heart tonight. You don't waste one more day in a religion that has no power to save you, even though it's in this building. That's just routine. It's a person. It is, it is Jesus. It says, for by believing in your heart, you're made right with God. Right with God. You don't have to earn it. You've been made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith, by telling the world, man, I trust in Jesus. You should too. You'll be saved. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, As as God's partners, we beg you, we beg you to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness. Or, or, Or he says, not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. He says, For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you're visiting with us, I don't talk like this ever. Ever. But my challenge for you tonight is, will you make a choice now? Will you make a choice now that will affect your later? Will you live here and now as if, as if it's not all about here and now? If you've never made a commitment to Christ and you feel something on the inside tugging at your heart, would you come talk to me after? Because I believe he's talking to you. I don't care how old you are. You might be 13, you might be 50. I believe he's reaching out for you tonight. And I believe your eternal destiny matters. It matters, not to me, it matters to Jesus. He's offering that salvation on the table for you tonight. Can we pray? Lord, I don't even know what to say tonight. I don't even know what to ask. I don't know that I need to ask anything. I'm just grateful for what you've done. Father, I pray for every person in this place who by hearing these words, they've been challenged (laughs) to really think about life and to really think about you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that recognize your leading as you lead them in the steps because I know you do it. Jesus, I just want to say thank you again for giving your life on the cross for me. When I got it wrong, thank you for making it right. I pray that you change us, God. I pray that you inspire us with your love for people. I pray that it burns in our heart that we can't help but see the world the way you see them. To love them the way you love them. To value them the way you value them. They might come to know you. They might be saved. It's in your name I pray. Amen.